tell you something. I'm Star-Lord. I formed the Guardians. Met a girl, fell in love. That girl died, but then she came back. Came back a total dick. Oh, please. He left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. My sacred mission is to create the perfect society. He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. you all to know that I'm grateful to fight beside my friends. Incinerate them. <laughs> we were always searching for a family until we found each other. Are you ready for one last ride? fly away together into the forever and beautiful sky. Whoever it was that you were in love with, it sounds more like her. Her? Do not bring me into this. <laughs> Knock it off! What? I never noticed how black your eyes were. They were replaced by my father as a method of torture. He, he picked a pretty set. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, and I'm not crying, you're crying, in episode 317 today, May 10th, 2023. We're going to be going right into our topic of the day, which is... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 Movie Review. And uh, there's no need to skip ahead whatsoever. So this is a film that I've been looking forward to for some time. And that is largely due to the fact that, A, I'm a big Guardians of the Galaxy fan when it comes to the movies. I, I have not read the comic books, so I, I don't have all of the past lore memorized whatsoever, but I absolutely love this crew. I think the casting has been brilliant. The chemistry has been brilliant. But also, I've been looking forward to this film too, simply because we really haven't had a proper Marvel movie come out in a while that I've been really excited about and pleased with. And I can say up front that this is a fun movie. So really, really happy about that just because it seems like probably the last Marvel movie that I was thrilled with was Spider-Man No Way Home. And when, you know, that, that was a while ago and they've had releases since then that have, in my, in my opinion, missed the mark a bit. So when it comes to this, I do want to direct your attention to how it's doing at the box office because this is also, I think, very... Um, 
kind of reflective of how I, I'm not the only one who feels this way. There are other folks who, who agree with me. So just looking at the Hollywood Reporter here, um, it's talking about how in more good news, the pick has crossed the $200 million mark domestically to finish Sunday with a cum of $215.6 million. Um, overseas, Guardians 3 took in another $91.9 million from 52 markets for a foreign tally of $315.6 million, including a pleasing $58.4 million from China, which means the total cum globally is $530 Point nine million dollars, and uh, that's that's just really, really indicative. I feel like of how good this movie is. Um, and what's interesting too is that Super Mario Brothers, the movie which I reviewed in last week's episode, it's the previous episode of the Joygasm podcast. Um, they were actually on to uh, number two, and I think it's worth mentioning that um, they grossed thirteen million from thirty eight hundred locations in its sixth weekend for a domestic tally of $536 million and $1.21 billion globally. So I think that that's really cool. I mean, the last time I checked in with Super Mario, they had just crossed the $1 billion mark. Um, and so that's definitely a really exciting thing to see simply because that movie is also a lot of fun. So when it comes to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I before, well actually before I came in and, and saw the movie at the theater I was thinking about okay where did we leave off with them and so if you think about how in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 that's where we get to meet Peter Quill's father Ego and there was a lot going on with that film and then we get to see them again in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame which was absolutely fantastic but then other than the the holiday special that they made, which honestly I don't really count as part of it, that was kind of more of just like a a fun little bonus treat for uh, all the Disney Plus fans out there. We really haven't caught up with these characters and what they're up to, what's going on in their lives, and so forth. And so now we're in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and we see how Peter Quill has been dealing with the aftermath of Avengers Endgame, of no longer having Gamora as his love and his life he still of course has feelings for her but she being from the past and i feel like it's it's important to kind of recap a little bit of this so that it makes sense to everybody so at the end of avengers endgame peter comes face to face with gamora but it's the past gamora if you recall the avengers actually went back in time and we're able to kind of mess with certain things and actually have Gamora make a return back into the fold because prior to that in Avengers Infinity War, Thanos used her as the sacrifice in order to obtain the Soul Stone. So this new Gamora is basically, I think, I think they, they referred it to it as like the 2014 Gamora. So she has no knowledge or relationship with Peter at, at all. And so that throws him for a loop. So that was one of the main things that was interesting to me to see like what unfolds with that. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. The main thing that they really decided to focus on in this particular film is actually Rocket. And up until this point, we always got little inklings back and forth of Rocket's past, but we never actually saw what happened. But I think the 
at, at most, we saw how guarded and defensive he would get if any kind of mentioning or questioning of his past, of his origin story, that sort of thing were to come up. So it's really interesting to look at because, um, and this is what many people have been talking about, I was not prepared for how heavy the movie was going to be. And when I think back to the previous Guardians of the Galaxy films, they each kind of have that heavy moment. In Guardians 1, we saw how um, the heavy moment was when Groot decides to sacrifice himself to save his team, right? Where he says, we are Groot instead of I am Groot. And that was like the, the tearjerker scene of, of the entire movie. In Guardians Volume 2, the, the big heavy moment, the tearjerker moment was when Yondu is saving Peter and they're blasting out into outer space and Peter, or I'm sorry, Yondu gives Peter his apparatus to be able to survive in outer space. And he says that famous line, Ego may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. And that really just, you know, just everybody in the theater got all misty eyed and, and the, the bottom lip started to quiver. And so we get to this film and now it's Rocket's turn. But what's interesting is that there is far more of an emphasis that is placed on the focus of Rocket's origin story. And it is a fascinating one. We get introduced to the high evolutionary and that was actually a, a, a very uh, juicy villain to kind of root against. You, know, you, you find out kind of what his uh, MO is and how he operates and how abusive he is. And you really, you really despise this character. <laughs> so um, it is interesting to look at and see how Rocket grew up, how he got his intelligence. And when it comes to the high evolutionary, it was interesting also for me to take a look at and see how his vision of perfection was this kind of twisted, tainted, skewed version of reality where he took basically, and I think they, I can't remember exactly what they called the other planet. I think it was counter earth, if I'm not mistaken, but essentially it's like this warped mirror. It's almost like one of those funhouse mirrors. If you think of like a kind of a, a metaphor where it mirrors what you'd expect to see on Earth in terms of like a first glance. But then when you see the, the people or the creatures that live there, they are these Frankenstein, half human, half animal uh, abominations, essentially, that you just look at them. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, this is not normal. This is not how it's supposed to be. And it's all because it's based off this very twisted vision that the high evolutionary has. So it was interesting to see how they went down this road because at the beginning of the movie, we actually get introduced to Adam Warlock and he comes in and he really injures Rocket when he comes into attack and whatnot. And we also find out that the high evolutionary is, is applying pressure on, I believe it was Adam Warlock's, oh man, it was either his sister or his mother. I can't remember like what the relationship is between the, the female that's that's all gold like he is. But essentially, the high evolutionary is also applying pressure for them to try and track down Rocket Raccoon. So 
Rocket Raccoon gets mortally wounded and they're basically having to put him on life support. And so that's what kind of kicks things off is that Rocket is actually out of most of this film. He's not in there with his quips and his comebacks and, you know, his, his own kind of swagger in the movie. He's out for the count. And it's an interesting exploration of what you do when you take a certain component away or a certain ingredient away from the overall formula. And so it's interesting, too, because not only was Rocket taken out, but also for a chunk of the film, Gamora was also not present. And so you start to see how every one of these characters has a very important role to play in order to make for this cohesive, memorable relationship of this Motley crew. And looking at these different, I guess it'll be interesting to kind of go through these various characters. So Peter Quill is definitely mourning kind of what's been going on in his life. He, at a very young age, lost his mother. He had to kill his father, who wasn't even human. That was like a big like WTF moment. And then on top of that, he's also lost his love. But now his love is back and has no memory or recollection of, of who he is. And so he's kind of down in the dumps. He's, he's kind of... Uh, relying on the bottle to, to try and drink away his, his woes. And, uh, and so it's really interesting to watch as when he, when he discovers that Gamora is part of the Raiders again, and they are able to, to work together on this one gig that they have, it was really fascinating to watch how, every time he was around her, obviously his feelings just came bubbling up to the surface and, and just, you know, it's throwing him for a loop to see her there. And at the same time, she's just, (laughs) she has no relationship with him whatsoever. And you can tell, I was glad that, that the, the way they approached the interaction between the two heroes was she, it wasn't like she, was completely just turned off. You know, like you could tell, even though like she saw him as a bit of a stranger, I mean, obviously they were acquainted by this point. She knew kind of like what the backstory was, but I liked how it was like she, it's this weird thing where she recognized that his feelings for her were authentic, even though she didn't have any of those feelings for him in this version of herself. But she could still, like, you could tell she was trying to just be gentle with him because she understood his situation. And so that was really, I don't know, like, one of my favorite moments in the film was when they landed on that weird, (laughs) I don't even know how to describe it, but it was basically that organic, was it an organic planet or organic moon or space station? I don't know. The thing was nasty. But they land and they're they're in their their space suits. And he... uh, meaning Peter Quill, he clicks on his comm link thinking it's a private channel and he starts to just try to, to speak to Gamora as they're waiting, not knowing that it's like a, a channel for everyone to hear. And that was that was such a classic Guardians of the Galaxy moment that we all love. It's, it's just that <laughs> nothing ever goes right. Nothing ever goes the way you expect it to. Uh, and it's just part of the fun. But it was interesting to see how over the course of the film, we did, in fact, get to see Gamora 
do her thing in terms of holding her own and, and whatnot. But what's what I kept thinking to myself was I was rooting for them to get back together. And I think it's safe to say that we all were. And I think part of what my mind, my, my thought process was when it came to this is the Guardians of the Galaxy is very much an ode to the 80s, right? I mean, like the music especially is 70s, 80s type of music. But also, too, there are certain subtle sensibilities throughout each one of the films that also kind of embraces the style of movie making from the 80s. It's, it's, it's not completely 80s. Obviously, they have more contemporary modern um, approaches to how they do cinema. But I just think in terms of the subplot points and that sort of thing, it really does play out like what you would expect from like a romantic comedy from the eighties. Right. And one of those, those types of situations is always like, you know, there's the guy and the girl. And for whatever reason, there's some, there's something that happens that causes a rift between these two people and the audience desperately wants them to, to get together. But for whatever reason, there, there are certain things that are causing chasms within the ability to do so. However, at the end of these eighties movies, you always see them get together and, and that's like the big payoff, right? That's the big exhale, the big relief. Everybody can cheer and be happy. And honestly, that's what I was expecting from this movie is okay. Both Peter and Gamora have experienced a lot of trauma and loss in their lives. In Gamora's case, I mean, she watched it as her planet was destroyed and how like uh, half her population was destroyed, that sort of thing. She was stripped away from her parents, her mom. So that was definitely like a big loss for her. And so you have these two people who just, you know, they really are, are in desperate need of love, basically. And... I, I must say, I was a little disappointed how at the end of the movie, they ended up not getting back together. And I liked the buildup. I really did throughout the film as, as they were going about and, and uh, doing their adventures and, and spending more time with each other. I did appreciate how James Gunn made it a point where there were these, these little nuggets, these instances where... Gamora got to see Peter Quill in action and be subjected to uh, his uh, being a scoundrel or his sense of humor um, or just his, just his lovability as uh, as a character throughout because it's building up. It's like it's 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 like it's this building block situation of all of a sudden demonstrating to her yes so that that he is speaking to. Um, what she's attracted to, what kind of qualities she can see in him, that sort of thing. And it's not like a, an easy situation at all. It's something that's definitely like they're going through the motions and that sort of thing. But I, I just appreciated those little moments where it wasn't like she was like super impressed, but it was like these little, little moments where it's like, oh, wow, okay, so he did that. Huh. And those, those little moments of facial performance that Zoe did that I was like, all right, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. But again, I'm, I'm really kind of shocked over how the creative decision was made to essentially not have them officially become an item once more. And I think that there is a bit of a challenge with that, with the movie, because this is the final guardians of the galaxy movie that James Gunn is doing 
he has taken on the helm uh, over at DC being, I, I actually, I don't even know what his job title is. If I had to guess, it would probably be something like the chief creative officer. Basically, he's he's the main person for the future of the DCU. And so his time at Marvel, at least uh, for the foreseeable future, has been finished. But also, too, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy crew as they are now, I think that they are also pretty much done because you have um, Chris Pratt, who's been playing Peter Quill now for... I want to say like roughly 10 years or so, maybe that sounds about right. Uh, but you also have Dave Batista, who, um, you know, he's been pretty vocal about how the only reason why he came back to do Guardians Volume 3 was because James Gunn was a part of it. And, and he just he wanted to do that for the fans. But he's pretty much done with the role of Drax. He wants to move on in his acting career. And you do have other characters like Groot and Rocket Raccoon, who are CG. Uh, but also, too, like, you know, I don't know what the status is of Bradley Cooper, right? Or Vin Diesel. You know, I think Vin Diesel would probably still be open to playing the, the character of Groot, but I'm not too sure about Bradley. And so you just have multiple folks who have been with the kind of the, the MCU now for a while. And so there, there is kind of like this phasing out process, I think, which is, it's always sad to see because, you know, as, as audience members, we have grown attached to these characters. We have like this entertainment relationship with them after seeing them in all these different films. And so it's always a hard pill for us to swallow. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is a little weird how, they decided not to have that. And, and they did do a little bit of a tease at the end where she admits to Peter that she could see how they would have fun together, like, like, or how they did have fun together, which I don't know. To me, it's like, at least we got that. But at the same time, it was a bit of a letdown because we just, we so wanted to see them get back together and, if for nothing else, just have a smooch at the end of the film that would just, you know, top off the entire thing. But at the same time, it was interesting how you had several of the Guardians decide to splinter off. Like, for instance, Peter decided that he just wanted to go back to Earth and have, like, the whatever little time left he had. And honestly, I don't know if that was his father. I assume that was his father, um, but he, he just, he desired to want to go back and, and spend that time. And there were other characters too. And I don't recall exactly what they were doing, but certain ones, like I think Mantis was another one that she talked about how her whole life she was serving ego. And then once ego was destroyed, how that, then she was serving with the guardians. And so she doesn't really know who she is. She just needs some time for herself. So she was another character I recall. And Gamora, you know, Gamora was another one where, she had no kinship whatsoever with the Guardians, and so she wanted to go back with kind of the Pirate Raiders, uh, which was just a weird visual. Like, you see her regroup with them, and they're all giving her a group hug, and I was like, man, this just looks, it doesn't feel right. It's just weird. And maybe that was intentional. Maybe that's what James ultimately wanted, was to have that kind of response from the audience. But um, I can say that knowing that we probably will not see the same cast of, of actors, you know, reprise these, these different character roles, it would have just been a nice reward to see 
some of these things buttoned up in a way that I think not just myself, but a lot of audience goers would have liked to witness really. So there's that whole side of things. Now Drax, uh, you know, Drax is just great. His, the comedic timing on all of his lines are great. What he does is fantastic. And on top of that too, they were able to showcase more of the family side of the character. And it, it did kind of remind me a little bit of the Guardians of the Galaxy video game that came out a couple of years ago because they did dive a bit more into the, the backstory of Drax being more of like a, a family man, right? And how he had a family and kids. And, you know, so there is that side of him that despite him being this warrior character that also, too, he has a soft spot for children. And so that was really neat to be able to see him engage with these. Um, I don't even know if they were like alien kids that were kidnapped or if they were grown in a test tube by the high evolutionary, I'm a little foggy on, on how those kids came to be, but that was really neat to see when it came to Nebula. So I got to get this out of the way while I'm thinking about it. I have to say Nebula was probably my favorite character out of the bunch this time when it comes to guardians of the galaxy volume three. I really have enjoyed watching her character arc where, you know, at first she's this, uh, you know, sidekick of Thanos and totally evil and, and just has this very, <laughs> uh, dysfunctional, we'll call it dysfunctional relationship with her father. But, you know, she's very angsty, very abrasive, violent. You can't trust her. And then she has gone from that and come to this point where, she absolutely treasures and values being a member of the guardians of the galaxy. She's protective of them. She watches out for them. She understands how special the bond is that they all share and have largely because she's never experienced that before in her life. And so it's really cool to see that. And especially when you, when you see some of the, the arguments that the guardians get into, or even like, for instance, when Adam Warlock came in and mortally wounded rocket raccoon, she was the first out the gate and was doing everything she could to protect rocket as well as the other guardians. If there were certain spats going on, she was the one to break it up. Um, she's, she's really matured. If you think about her character and, I don't know. I I found myself being really impressed with that. I was like, man, this is, this is a a very fascinating look at how this character has grown and what this character brings to the team. So, and not to mention the fact that her new arm was really cool. I just loved, I don't know if it was nanotechnology that was supposed to be or what, but like the, the cybernetic arm that she had where she could transform it into a laser cannon or whatever. Um, that was a lot of fun to see not to mention. And they, they played this all the time in the trailers, but that moment where, uh, Gamora is talking about how she's not that, that girl that, that Peter remembers her as, or, or is describing her and how Gamora points to Nebula and says, she sounds more like her, you know, and, and they kind of chuckle and then have that look. And, uh, Karen Gillen, her, her comedic timing. She is so funny too. I just love how she just looks at him and goes, knock it off. And just that, that whole thing. It's, you know, a joke works when I've seen the movie trailers like 20 times and they have that moment in every one of the trailers. 
And yet you see it in the film and it's, it still makes me laugh. Like just, it's just the funniest thing with the chemistry and the relationship that those characters have. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that in a lot of ways, Nebula was probably my favorite Guardians this time around. Groot has also been really fun to watch. You know, we saw him as more or less an adult in the first Guardians. He sacrifices himself, comes back as this little sapling, <laughs> a little baby Groot, which was a lot of fun too because that changed up some of the dynamics of how the Guardians conducted themselves and how when they went into battle, how they always had to watch out for baby Groot. And then it went from baby Groot to teenager Groot. Uh, when I went to, uh, I think it was more like the Avengers films is when we saw Teenager Groot. And that was where he had the big attitude and playing on his little mobile gaming device and stuff. And now that we're in Guardians Volume 3, we see Groot as kind of like a 20-something, like early 20-something uh, version of himself. And he was he was badass. I really enjoyed watching how there was no more sarcastic attitude or disrespect from Groot. He was definitely maturing back into being more of that um, anchor of the team, the reliable anchor, the, the, the one that could always be depended on. There was some sweet scenes where he's, uh, there's, well, the one scene where they're doing the, I think they called it a, is either face off or standoff. I can't remember what Peter said, but that moment where all of a sudden like his, wooden body parts unfold and all of a sudden you see all these crazy uh, automatic weapons come out and him and, and uh, Peter Quill, I don't know, back to back firing their weapons and taking care of business. That, that was pretty rewarding. Adam Warlock is a character that I don't have a lot of information on. Now, once again, when I played the Guardians of the Galaxy video game, he was also in the game. And so that was my first introduction to this character. Even then, I wasn't too sure uh, about the details of the character other than he's definitely a imposable character. He's, he has a lot of power and capabilities, that sort of thing. So, and it was really cool to see him in this movie, but I did want to see more of Adam Warlock. I just feel as though, and again, I'm going off very limited exposure to the character, but it just seemed like he was a bit more dopey in the movie as opposed to the game version, but the game version depicted Adam as more adult, I guess you could say, like more, more mature and older. Now, there were moments where it was really funny to see some of the stuff that he was into and how he was he was like a bull in a china cabinet. If you think about it, most of the time you saw him doing things, he was just making a mess of everything and not being very helpful at all, except, of course, at the very end when he's able to save Peter. And that was, you know, I think that's also worth mentioning is that James always has fun in playing with the audience in terms of like, is a character going to make it? Or are they not going to make it? And we saw that a couple of times in this film where we weren't sure if Rocket Raccoon was going to make it or if he was going to be dead on the operating table. But then we also saw that with Peter Quill too, where it's like, you know, knowing that this is James's final Guardians of the Galaxy film, it would beg to reason that maybe there would be certain Guardians that would perish 
at the end of this film. And so he was definitely messing with us in that regard where, you know, you have Peter, who's the final one out of the ship and he's once again (laughs) in outer space. uh, And he begins to freeze up. His face gets all bloated and, you know, you're thinking, Oh wow. Like, so that's, that's how he's going to go. Okay. But then you see Adam Warlock come in and save him at the last moment. And, and once more, just, it's really funny when they were doing the group hug and Adam Warlock, you can tell he just, he wants to be part of the family, but he's not quite sure what to do. And he has this very awkward, like, you know, addition to the group hug. That's the magic of guardians. That, that is just a, a prime example of that. Mantis was a lot of fun. You know, Mantis and Drax are always a blast to see on screen. And it was also fun, too, to see how she, you know, Mantis also is one of those characters that despite some of the kind of the the quirkiness of the character, because she is an alien, so she's not fully adept at some of the, the conversational idiosyncrasies and whatnot. She has those funny moments, but she also is very like laser focused on how the team is doing, which I think is a byproduct of the fact that she's able to be so in tune to people's feelings and thoughts. So she was always real fun to watch. And I think that that's part of the secret sauce of the guardians as well, is that we have seen the group steadily add additional characters over the films, which I'm sure is the same in the coming book. And these are characters that you're just at first glance, you're like, they're what? How does this work? But then by the end of the film, you're like, man, like I can't see them without that character. And so I think, you know, Mantis was the the addition from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So then when we see her with the Avengers, I mean, she's already a part of the crew. This time it's Adam Warlock. And it was interesting to see, too, how at the end of the film, the guardians of the galaxy are still together, but now they are um, noticeably a different kind of makeup of the crew, right? You have rocket raccoon, you had Groot, which by the way, that version of Groot uh, on that desert planet thing that they were on. And he comes up out of the dirt and stuff, man, he looked awesome. So you had those two. And I think you had Adam Warlock who was a part of it. And uh, I can't remember who else was there. There were one or two other, I think Nebula was still there. Maybe someone else that I'm not thinking of, but I, I do think that the, the other characters, you know, Peter Drax, uh, Gamora, they Mantis, you know, they were no longer there. So it it is going to be interesting to see how they do this moving forward, because I'm sure, especially with the box office being as successful as it is, I think that there will be a desire to want to keep the guardians franchise moving forward. Now, whether or not they decide to completely reset like all the different characters within guardians. And again, I don't know how this works. I don't know if in the comic book it's normal for various characters to get swapped in and out at different points of the overall comic book story. And if that is the case, then that's cool. That that definitely offers different types of creative opportunities for the films to be able to continue moving forward. But there is this all this, there is always going to be a creative risk involved because they've spent all this time cultivating the current cast for the audience to fall in love with them and each one brings us, like I said earlier, a certain ingredient to the secret sauce formula that makes the Guardians of the Galaxy 
these fantastic misfits. So when you take away multiple ingredients, and each ingredient is unique, it's not like, at least at this point, it's not like, oh, we're going to take out Peter Quill, who's like basically like the scoundrel of the group, and we're going to put in another scoundrel, right? Like that's not how they're they're going about it. Every one of these characters that we've seen so far is a unique ingredient or component to the overall crew. And who knows, perhaps like if they were to decide to move forward, maybe we would see other types of concoctions, so to speak, of these different groups that have different types of chemistry altogether. So it remains to be seen like what happens with that. Now, when I think about the, the movie itself and in terms of comparing it to the previous films, this is not my favorite Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I did think the movie was fun. I thought it definitely hit you in the feels. There were multiple times where I was starting to get misty-eyed because of what was going on uh, and transpiring on screen. My wife was like a wreck. I mean, she was just crying about 90% through the movie. And that, that speaks highly to, once again, like the acting, the performance, the fact that we're all bonded with these characters and the great storytelling. My favorite Guardians of the Galaxy movie, it would probably be Volume 2. The reason being that Volume 2 is where we have basically the team created already, and we see them just doing their thing. It was also during that time where we did get to find out more backstory about Peter. We get to find out who his father is. Yondu was still part of it. One of my favorite lines out of any Marvel movie is, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! You know, like that that whole thing, brilliant. It was just fantastic. Just the, the, the sheer absurdity of watching Yondu not even know who Mary Poppins is, but asking Peter if she's cool. He's, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, she's cool. For him to uh, yell that out was just, oh, it's a thing of beauty. So, I mean, I would say volume two was probably my favorite out of the bunch. Now, having said that, I thoroughly enjoy one, two, and three, for sure. Really, really enjoyed them as a trilogy. Um, I did think that because I was not necessarily prepared for the heaviness of the third film. And in my mind, I also, I just enjoy seeing the Guardians being the Guardians, where like, you know, they're, they're, they get into fisticuffs and the, these swashbuckling adventures. They have these funny moments of quips and like, you know, uh, comedic romance. And I don't know, there's just all that, that stuff that all goes on. And we had that same type of recipe here, but many of those different areas were, were kind of reined in a bit because obviously they wanted to showcase the origin story of Rocket Raccoon. If I had to give this film a rating, I think I would probably give it four stars. Four out of five stars. Simply because, once again, this is a very special thing that James Gunn has put together. And all the actors who have played these roles for years, um, it's, again, this is another type of example of why I go to the movies, right? It's just, it's so fun to be able to see these characters on screen and the the thoughtful storytelling that takes place. As I mentioned just a minute ago, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is not my favorite Guardians. Volume 2 is my favorite, but it is such a cool aspect of 
seeing this kind of, I don't know if swan song is the right way to put it, but basically like seeing these heroes uh, as a send off, as you know, have, saying farewell to, a, to some of these at least for the foreseeable future, I think was a very appropriate thing to do. And it definitely makes me wonder, okay, what's in store for the Guardians of the Galaxy moving forward? Are we gonna see a brand new roster of Guardians? Are they just gonna put it to bed for a while and focus on some other Marvel IPs? I have no idea. And I think that's part also of the creative risk. When you think about how there has been this sunsetting uh, going on with many of what I call kind of the OG Marvel characters that we were used to seeing at the movies. You know, we've seen that with several of the Avengers and now we're seeing this also with the Guardians. And so creatively speaking, that is a big risk because you're basically, Marvel's basically taking what works already and saying, okay, we've, we've seen enough of that. Now we're going to retire those out at least for now. And now we're going to bring in these these other unproven heroes or characters, some of which may not be as kind of uh, globally known within the Marvel Universe. Doesn't mean that they're bad characters, but just in terms of what they have spent over the last 10 to 15 years cultivating and building up, they, they really are intentionally, systematically dismantling certain parts of it. Literally, as I'm saying this, it makes me think of the game, I think it's called Django? Django? Jenga? Jenga, I think it's Jenga. Where like, you know, you have all those like different um, slabs of wood or whatever, and you're just, you're constantly pulling one out, you're taking turns, and you're hoping that the whole thing doesn't collapse. It's kind of like what they're doing, except they're not leaving the holes there. They would pull it out and then they want to take another slab that they have over here and put it into that hole, hoping that it fits. I think that's 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 a proper analogy, kind of. Anyway, that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. If you enjoy this episode, I invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention it financially helps me continue doing the podcast. Also, click on that subscribe button as well as that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single solitary episode of Joygasm that drops once a week each week. And you could do a search for Joygasm TV on your favorite social media platform of choice. It's spelled... J-O-Y-G-A-S-M-T-V. Last but not least, do a search on Twitch to watch us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. Just look for twitch.tv slash joygasmtv. I look forward to hanging out with you all once more next week when I give my gaming impressions of Star Wars Jedi Survivor. See you then. <laughs>